It's good to see you all today. Have you ever read yourself into the text of Scripture? Like, have you ever read a text and thought, I think they may, or that may be talking about me? Have you ever read it and thought, you know what, I may be the very thing that I'm reading, it may reference my life, right? And of course, we want to do that in context. We can't put ourselves in every scenario, but sometimes those things kind of bubble up. And that happened to me while I was preparing for this week's message. And really, you know, for me, a message doesn't really come to life until I can kind of insert my own life into that and go, how can I be better because of this? Or what is God trying to teach me through this? Or something of that nature. And so today... When I'm reading this story, and by the way, we're going to Luke chapter 15, which is the story of the prodigal son. And if, you don't, if you're not familiar with that story, I'll summarize it in just a moment, but I do encourage you to go read that. It's a really beautiful story about redemption and love and access to the Father and things like that. But I don't know, it, this time was different for me. And here's why, because there's a part of the story where these two brothers are in a pickle with each other. The one brother gets offended. It's all kind of crazy. But if you know the story, then my first point will kind of make sense to you. And I had to ask myself this question. What if I am the older brother and can't see it? Now, again, if you're not familiar with the story, that question won't matter yet. If you are familiar, then you know what I mean. What if I'm the older brother and I couldn't see it? Or the the hardest question that I had to ask myself this time was, what if I'm the older brother in this story and I don't want to see it? I don't want to be that person. So because of the reflection on this passage, I do think there are three things that I wanna share with you today. And I will tell you, majority of my message today is gonna be spent on the first point. I might not even get to the third one. We'll see how it goes. But I think these three things will kind of speak to where we are in the church. And in fact, I even posed the question like this. Is the church sometimes the older brother? So we're gonna read the story. Let me give you a little bit of context, okay? Jesus is speaking in parables. A parable is a made-up story. These are not things that actually happened. They're just stories that really drive a point home, okay? And Jesus is speaking in parables and he gives three of them in this particular chapter. We're gonna go to the third one. We are gonna revisit another one later on in the message. But we're gonna start in Luke chapter 15. And I'm gonna summarize the first part of this because if not, it takes a lot of my, my time to speak to you up reading the whole thing. Here's the basic scenario of what's happening. The younger brother in this story goes to dad and says, Pops, look, I need my money, man, because I got to go, right? The dad goes, well, what are you gonna do? He says, I just need my inheritance. Do whatever you gotta do. I want my money. He gives him the money. He goes out and loses his ever-loving brains squanders it all, ends up in a pig pen, eating with the pigs. And in verse 17, it says something really cool. It says, and when he came to his senses, 
One version says when he came to himself, something clicked, right? He says, you know what? Even the people back at my dad's house that are working for him, his servants, they live better than I'm living right now. Let me go back to dad's house and figure out if I can just become a servant because at least they're, gonna, they're doing a lot better than I am. So he goes back to the dad and says, listen, just hire me as a servant. I just want to come work. The dad says, "What? look, buddy, I can do you one better than that. We're about to partay. Okay, we're gonna throw a celebration. We're gonna get the fatted calf. We're gonna get a new robe, a ring, and put some new sandals on your feet. And they throw it down because the son has come home. In fact, one beautiful picture of the father is that he's standing out waiting on the son, looking and waiting on the son to come home and he shows up. And that's where the story takes a weird turn because there's an older brother in the picture. And that's why I ask, I wonder sometime if I'm the older brother. Let's pick up in verse 25, okay? Verse 25 says, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, What's going on? Notice he didn't go to the horse's mouth here. He, he goes to someone else on the side, right? This is how good gossip gets going, right? He pulls him to the side and he asks him what's going on. He says, your brother has come home and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has, has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. What a ridiculous thing to say. Anybody got children in here? Anybody ever been a child in here? right? We just don't do things perfectly, right? I've never disobeyed this gross exaggeration of perfection here, right? He says, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, notice he didn't call him his brother, this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. He says, my son, I love how he calls him son, right? Even in this situation, my son, the father said, you are always with me and everything that I have is yours. But we have to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead. Who was dead is alive again. He was lost and is now found. Now, you may not be aware, you may be, I'm not sure that Friends Church is growing I mean, like you guys added an 8.30 service that I had to preach at. I don't know if Jesus is up at 8.30. I don't know what's going on around here, but there is some growth going on around here, right? I mean, seriously, you guys are sitting in the middle of a gift. I really need you to hear that. I like to joke and cut up and laugh a whole lot in service, right? Because service can, services can be heavy from time to time but you're sitting in a gift with what's happening here. Even just in the last two years of me getting to come and, and watch and be apart from a distance, I've seen this wild thing happening here. So it might not be as apparent to you in here that the church in America is in a transition and things are a bit dicey. Now, again, I don't, I don't say this for shock. I don't say this for fear. I just think sometimes we're not aware that there is in our country a mass exodus that is happening in the evangelical church. That's what we're considered here as an evangelical church. So that means 
if people are leaving their churches, if people are exiting the church, per se, then they are most likely in need of a place of hope and healing. Does that make sense? And I really want you to lean in here with me and hear this part. For those people that have left the church, I need you to know something. It does not mean that they have left faith. It just means that something's happened. Maybe something bad happened. Maybe they were hurt. Maybe they were alienated unintentionally. I don't know what the reason, there's all kinds of reasons people are leaving. But I want you to know that those people are not bad. They're not lost. But it does mean that they are hungry. It does mean that they could be starving. And I mean spiritually, of course. So as we look to the future for Friends Church, or as we look for the, local, for the future of this local church, there are three things that I want us to kind of take away from this passage, this story, that I think will hinder our personal lives if we don't address them and hinder maybe even the local church. Several years ago, a pastor from Ohio, actually, not, not here in Cleveland, but another part of Ohio, called me, just a friend of mine, and he says, Matt, he said, he said, dude, something's happened. Their, their church was on in a growth spurt. They had added a new service, and that's what made me think about here. Some really neat things were happening there, and he said, you know, he said, I have this couple here who they're new to faith. They're new to faith in Jesus. Um, they're living together. They're not married. The pastor wasn't aware of this, but invited them to serve as greeters. This couple was at one time very close to this time. They were strung out. They were now in recovery. They were showing up and serving one service and attending one service. They had been clean for several months. Again, they were really experiencing something so powerful in their lives. They were known to be loving people. They were known to be kind people. People were just celebrating them like crazy. They just seemed like a solid couple. However, someone in that local church found out that they were uh, not married, but living together. And the pastor said, well, just love on them. They're in recovery. They're, they're making these strides toward whatever they need to do in their lives, let's, let's just love them where they are at and allow God to do what God's gonna do. And of course, this did not happen. The person took it upon themselves to go and correct them and fix them. And it blindsided them, it devastated them, it crushed these people. Again, they were new to faith, in recovery. They just wanted to serve and be a part of something that was helping them get better every single week. They did not know the rules. They did not even know the Bible. They just knew that they felt loved until they ran into this person. And the pastor says, Matt, he says, I've never heard from them or seen this couple again. And here's the question that got me. And I remember this question so well by the way he worded it. And I hope it lands with you the way that it did me. If not, God bless you. It's been good to see you. He says, Matt, when did loving people well and allowing God to do his work get in the way of God doing his work? 
And I got that. I got what he meant by that. This couple is now estranged from the church because of bad religion or because of the older brother. And that brings me to the first thing about this passage. It reminded me of the word estrangement. If we approach people, whether they're inside or outside of the church, like the older brother, they will become estranged from the church. Isn't it wild that the love of the father for the prodigal, right? The one who went away and squandered everything. The love of the father for the one who went away, who didn't know the rules of the house, who didn't know how to behave, who'd made some bad decisions, intentionally made some bad decisions. The love of the father caused estrangement between the older brother and the father himself. His love caused division because the love was too much for the other person to accept. How can too much love cause division? Let me say it to you like this. Love causes division when we fundamentally believe that the other person isn't as deserving as I am. The pastor said when this person wanted to confront the couple, they used phrases like this. Pastor, I've been in this church for a very long time. I've been serving, I've been giving, and we just can't let people da, 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 da. Oh, Nate, the term was, these people. And it came to my mind of, didn't we, all used, didn't we all used to be these people? We were all a these people, right? A those people. The older brother said the same type of thing in verse 29. He says this, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders and you never did this good thing for me, the, the goat thing which I think is a very weird cultural thing, right? The next time my daughter complains about saying, I'm just gonna bring her a goat <laughs> and go, look, look how much your father does for you. Knowing my 10-year-old daughter, she will name it and love it, right? And go, I've always wanted one, dad. Church, I get that when people are in leadership and they have great responsibility that yes, there's a standard of living. I want you to know that I'm not dismissing all of that. But this isn't about that. This is about allowing the Holy Spirit to do his work in people's lives and us not getting in the way of that. The Holy Spirit couldn't do his work because people wanted to do his work. And then, you know, I get these hypothetical questions. And I like to say they're high, pathetic questions, right? They're, it, it doesn't make sense. Christians are the best at making up hypothetical situations that they themselves wouldn't know what to do with if it were real. And one of the hypothetical questions that comes up often as a pastor is, well, Matt, how do we know that the Holy Spirit is working in somebody's life? How do we know when they're gonna change? 
And my only reply to that, it goes something like this. When I am more concerned about the work of the Spirit in someone else's life, I have missed the fact that he has unfinished work to do in mine. I cannot be more concerned. Does that make sense? So how do we respond to people like this couple? How do we respond to people who have been hurt? How do we respond to people who just didn't feel connected? Literally after the last service, a couple comes up to me and says, this is our very first time here. I immediately begin to apologize for my preaching. <laughs> and I said, he'll be back next week, okay? Um, and they said, this is our very first time here. And you honored the people that served here. And for a year, we went completely unnoticed at our last church. For a year. And I said, well, and I just encouraged them, you know, to, to attend and things like that, you know. But how do we, what do we, how do we respond when people leave and come and go and experience things like that in the local church? Well, first of all, I, I will tell you this. The ones that go, the ones that say, I'm out, or the ones that leave for whatever reason, hear this, they will always be the focus of the Father's attention, always. And we see this even in the parable, in the same chapter, the very first parable that Jesus is talking about in chapter 15 of Luke. I'm gonna read this kind of fast so if my southern drawl gets away from you, just hang with me, okay? Luke 15, verse one. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. What a great accusation, right? If we could just, if we all go to heaven and that be the thing that people say about us, oh, that'd be great, right? Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and loses them, loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. You know what Jesus is simply saying there? You're all the same. Can we not just celebrate that we're in this thing together? We're all the same. At one point we were lost and now we're found. They will be lost, but they will be found. That's the focus of the Father's intention or attention. So how we respond to those who are away may determine if they come home. How we treat the outsider says more about us than it does them. Now I'm gonna, <laughs> this is a, a goofy statement, right? But church sometimes can be a little weird about things. Not y'all, I'm talking about the churches in Tennessee. <laughs> so I just wanna make this statement. We are not a cult. <laughs> Let's not behave like one. Can somebody say Amen right? Yes. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Yes. We are a large family with a lot of weird family members. Some of you are going to go to your Thanksgiving dinner in a couple of weeks and that one weird uncle who makes everybody uncomfortable will be there. 
right? And if you go, I don't have a weird uncle, you are the weird uncle, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? <laughs> I like to say it like this, we are not in the mafia. Now, if you're one of the five families in Cleveland, welcome to Friends Church. We're so happy that you're here. And if I've made you upset about anything today, my name is Pastor Chad. Okay. <laughs> so people are estranged from the church for a reason, right? The word estrangement carries within it the word stranger. It, it kind of illuminates and illustrates the word stranger. And the scripture is super clear. I don't say that a lot because, I mean, sometimes it doesn't feel super clear when we read scripture, right? But I can tell you that the scripture is very, very clear about how the stranger is treated. In fact, in Hebrews, out of the 20 something verses you can find, I've got, I'm gonna give you two. Hebrews 13, one and two said, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers for thereby you have entertained angels unaware. Matthew 25, 35, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. See, Jesus wasn't just making some declarative statement. He was teaching us how to treat people that may be considered on the outside of where we are. One of the things that gets in the way of us doing that, loving people well, takes me to my second point. And that's the word entitlement. And we see this show up big time with the other brother, the older brother. The older brother believed that he was entitled to have the same treatment as the younger brother. This entitlement mentality is an attitude where people feel that they deserve something without necessarily having earned it. Please hear this. Entitlement is the breeding ground for complacency. When I act entitled, it actually drives complacency in me. So I wanna give you some context of how entitlement shows up in church. Here's how it can manifest. Entitlement shows up when we expect the church to cater to our personal preferences. Entitlement shows up when we refuse to serve or give financially because they don't see because we don't see a direct benefit to us. That's rough, isn't it? <laughs> Entitlement is believing that we have a right to certain positions or privileges within the church. It's believing that we have the right to the local church and its resources. That's kind of how entitlement shows up. I've, I've thought about this in the second service. I, I said it in second service. I didn't say it in first service. I don't, I don't trust them people. I'm just joking. <laughs> but <laughs> I remember one time, I, I was probably 19 or 20 years old. You know, and I grew up in like a Pentecostal church. Like, man, it was like, what? The whole time, right? If people weren't like shouting in the whole nine yards, it's like, well, that was boring, right? So I grew up with that. And I remember one time the pastor got up in the middle of, man, it was like, it was hype, it was up. And I remember the pastor getting up and kind of bringing things back to some order or whatever. And I got so offended. How could you quench the Holy Spirit, right? How could you, you know, whatever. I had all this stuff in my mind because I was 19 and I knew everything, right? I sound like an old person to the young people right now. Oh no, I just realized, oh my gosh, I'm the old guy. And so... 
I caught the associate pastor because I wasn't, you know, brave enough to say this to the senior pastor. I caught the associate pastor in the hall. I said, can you tell me why pastor shut down the Holy Spirit? And he said, hmm. He said, Matt, I, all I can tell you is, buddy, is that maybe the Lord's teaching you how to, uh, well, how did he say this? Maybe the Holy Spirit's teaching you how to submit, so you might need to go set your little smart mouth down. And I went, well, the Lord bless you. Thank you. Because I was so hateful. He was already fed up with me. I totally understood. I needed that. I needed someone to kind of push back on me, right? We haven't spoken since. But anyway, um, <laughs> that's not true at all. He, he, I love him very much for that, right? He knew he could say that to me because he knew that's what I needed. Does that make sense? I had to have somebody kind of put me in that place. But that entitled thing in me, that entitlement thing in me that... I, that thing just rose up so big because we often think we know better. So I've had to reject entitlement in the local church in my life. Rejecting entitlement. I can tell you one of the ways we can do that. And that's one of the reasons I love that you honor the people who serve today. Reject entitlement by engaging in serving. And that brings me to my final thing, Engagement. Engagement. So we started out with estrangement, right? Entitlement. And now let's talk about engagement. And I want the, the band to come. They're going to come and we're going to wrap up today. How I show up will impact how others show up. In this story, notice the older brother brings in nameless characters and he does this through an accusation. He says, yet you have given me, you've never given me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. So the relationships around you can be deeply impacted by how you engage in the father's house. Do you hear that? I wonder if the older son, once he was back around his friends, began to criticize his own father's actions to them. And we don't know, but what we do know is that the story leaves this open. And I think for good reason, I think it's maybe to show us that our engagement can impact other people's engagement how we talk about, how we represent, how we show up here can deeply impact people out there and how they view what happens here. Now, I don't know how to end this message. I, I, that's just, I never worked it out. I could not get it to land right in my mind. So the only way I know how to end it is to give you these two things that I really just want you to take home with you today. Number one, the last two things, okay? Let us not cause estrangement due to entitlement and a lack of healthy engagement. And the last thing I'll say to do is this. Treat the outsider as though they are an insider because Jesus didn't die for Christians. He died for the world. We just get to be a part of what he did for us. He has stretched out his hand and so should we to people that we consider on the outside. In fact, I believe there's so many people because of the exodus that's happened in the church. There's so many people with their hands outstretched waiting for someone to say, come sit with me. Come sit with me. Maybe it doesn't start in a church service. Maybe it starts around your kitchen table. 
makes me think of the last thing that Jesus did before his death. Jesus didn't open up, open up deaf ears. He didn't open up blind eyes. He didn't walk on water. He didn't raise the dead to say, see, I told you, I'm the son of God. He didn't do any of those things to prove who he was. The last night of his life, he simply chose to sit around a table and have a meal with his buddies. There is miracle in community. There's profound miracle when we invite people to the table of God. Sometimes that can start in your home. Can we all stand together today? So Holy Spirit, we thank you for our time together today. Give us the courage to reach out to those that maybe have been estranged from the church. Check our heart for entitlement. And today maybe even find some space in our lives to engage in serving. So that other people's lives can be deeply impacted and loved well. In Jesus' name, amen.